please be seated. Hey, Happy New Year. Uh, we're three weeks in the new year, but this is my first Sunday back preaching, so this is going to be my New Year's address uh, to you, and we're going to carry it on next Sunday by another New Year's address, so parts uh, one and two. And what I want to share with you in, in these uh, New Year messages is our perspective, the perspective that I would like to suggest that we have for this coming year, and I can suggest that because the Bible actually tells us to have this perspective, so I really stand on good ground here. And then secondly, next week, I would like for us to consider what might be our priorities for mission. That is, what should we be about as a church? And we're about many things and should be about many things, but what should we really focus on for 2017? And this, this, both of these sermons are simply, it's simply what the Lord has laid on my heart heart, but again, I stand on good ground because it's what God's Word teaches. This week, we're looking at the perspective we should have for 2017. It's simply this, God is sovereign. Simply that. Ecclesiastes 7, 13 and 14. Next week, we'll look at Micah 6, 8, which is one of those passages that keeps me anchored, and it is three priorities that, that Micah gives to us that the prophet had through the inspiration of scripture and I want us to focus on justice and mercy and walking by faith and what's interesting providentially even though this Sunday technically is Sanctity of Life Sunday but we're actually recognizing it next Sunday because that's when the March of Life is I believe Micah 6-8 really helps us understand how we should live in light of the biblical teaching of the sanctity of life. So it'll be a twofold purpose next week as we look at Micah 6 So for today, we're looking at the perspective that we should have as individuals, as families, as a church in the coming year 2017. God is sovereign. Have you been throwing curveballs in your life? Does life come at you in some, sometimes the most unexpected way? Would you say that your life is characterized by twists and, and turns and valleys and hills and just some really odd things that you find it very difficult to make sense out of? In 1983, my life at the same time came to a screeching halt and took a very unexpected turn. I had, well, actually, my wife is here. We were newly married and in a really great church. I was already planning to have a, a prosperous career in some field of science. All of my education up to that point had been directed. My hopes, my dreams were all funneled in that direction. And because of a mission conference in 1973, in the span of one week, everything turned upside down. And I'm like, what in the world is going on? What is happening to me? And through a series of events the next year, Renee and I began our studies up at Gordon-Conwell in seminary. And you know the rest of the story. Another time in my life just really took, in my thinking, a really odd turn was in 2011. 
the picture of health. Work out just about every day. Eat healthy. I like to have a dollar for every salad I've eaten without dressing. <laughs> a lot of calories in dressing. And the doctor told me, we need to replace your aortic valve. And I thought, what? Had no symptoms? Me? Moi? Specimen of health? <laughs> and so I had open heart surgery. I think I'm still getting over that, although everything's going well. But that really takes a toll on you to have a surgery like that. I mean, what about you? What unusual, unexpected, bizarre, odd turns, twists have you encountered in, in, in your life? As I look back over my life, I, I do not see a straight line. I do not see a perfectly level path. I see turns. I see twists. I see... Some movement forward, some movement backwards, some sideways stuff, some detours. I mean, it looks like a mess. And what am I to make out of all of this? How am I to understand some of these crooked things, let us say, that we experience as we live our lives? And our tendency is, I think, at least my tendency, I can speak for myself, is when I encounter crookedness in my life, irrespective of the cause of it, well, what might be the cause of it? We'll get to that later. But when I experience crookedness in my life, what is my response? No, excuse me. What is my reaction? Try to straighten it out. Because you know me, I like order. I like straight lines. I do not like curvy lines. And yet my life can be very twisty and, let's just say, crooked at times. And when I try to straighten out what is crooked, I find frustration. I find hopelessness. I don't find peace. And I certainly don't find joy. What about you? Are you in a crooked place today? Have you experienced crooked places in your life. Maybe you're going into what you think may be a crooked place of your journey down life's road. And my question for us is, is there any hope as we navigate the crookedness of life's journey? And the preacher in Ecclesiastes says, absolutely, there is hope. And the context of Ecclesiastes, at least the, con well, the whole book is about wisdom, right? And the end of Ecclesiastes, chapter 12, and verse 13, is the sum of the matter. The end of the matter is to fear God and follow his commandments. That really is the lesson of Ecclesiastes. And in chapter 7, the preacher of Ecclesiastes is contrasting wisdom and folly. And what he's doing in verses 13 and 14 is that he, he is saying... The foolish person tries to straighten out life's crookedness. The wise person trusts in the one who made it crooked. Do you get that? The wise person trusts in the one who has made the crookedness. And there we find hope. There we find peace. There we find 
joy in the midst of what often is a very difficult or troubling circumstance in life. Let me pray, and then I want to read for us what the preacher says, the preacher of Ecclesiastes. Our Father in heaven, this this passage over the years has challenged me in so many ways. It's challenged us as a congregation as we have considered this passage in the past, and I pray today that you might work such that all of us here would consider it as if for the first time, and that you would be pleased to work your truth deeply in us. For Jesus' sake, for our good we pray. Amen. Now the sermon outline is very simple. Yes, God is sovereign, point one. Point two, we are not. And, and point three, therefore, let us trust him. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Ecclesiastes chapter 7. We'll just read two verses, verses 13 and 14. Consider the work of God who can make, who can make straight what he has made crooked. In the day of prosperity, be joyful. In the day of adversity, consider God has made the one as well as the other. So that man may not find out anything that will be after him. God is sovereign. In the first part of verse 13, we see an example of God's sovereignty. As the preacher says, consider the work of God. Con- consider a work, singular. In other words, what, what theological idea is, is the preacher wanting us to, to lay hold of as he is contrasting wisdom and folly in light of living life, journeying down this road that, that we call life. And it really is clear to me that, that the theological point, the aspect of God that he wants us to consider, to know, to embrace, to let just season and flow through our lives is God's sovereignty. And we see it clearly in the text. In fact, in verse 13, we, we, we see this as, as he says, there are some things that God has made crooked that man cannot straighten out. That is, an ex, that, that is a description of God as sovereign. And then later on in verse 14, He will say, God has made, God has sovereignly ordained, he has made both prosperity and adversity. You know, I I want to, sometimes I feel like I shouldn't speak so much about my own personal experience with you all. After 27 years of ministry, some of you have heard my little life stories way too many times. And so I always feel somewhat apologetic (laughs) when I talk about my life. But there just are some things that that I think directly apply to the text that I'm preaching. And so here goes. I'm going to share it again anyway. And if you've heard it, just be gracious with me 
And hopefully if you've heard it, it will be an encouragement to you to understand the text better. There was a point in mine and Renee's, mine and Renee's relationship as a married couple that we thought we'd never have children. And so our first pregnancy ended in a stillbirth, then there were miscarriages, and then we had the privilege of adoption, then there were miscarriages, and then God provided another child for us, and then there were miscarriages, and then God provided a third child for us, and I think there were miscarriages. And as I just stand back, oh, and now God has provided our, our grandchild for us. But as I just look back, I, I have to tell you that it doesn't make any sense to me why people like Renee and me, who are nuts anyway, <laughs> you know, I mean, we've got our issues, but we really wanted a family, and we really love children. I think there might have been 13 or so pregnancies, some total. And it's just really difficult to make sense out of it all. Why don't we have 13 children? Or whatever number it might be. And so when I think about passages like, like this, the only way that I can have any perspective, the only way that I can have a sense of God is God and I am not is this, that God has ordained it all. He has ordained the prosperity in our childbearing and he has ordained the adversity in our childbearing. I want you to think about this example, but apply it to your life. Replace the circumstances. Re replace my story with your story. Where do you come right up against God being God, God being sovereign, ordaining prosperity and adversity? Where do you come up against that in your life? That's what this passage is dealing with, real life. Joys and hurts, victories and disappointments. Do you affirm what the preacher has written? God ordains them both, adversity and prosperity. And with our best and noblest efforts, we cannot straighten out what the sovereign God has made crooked. Do you affirm what the preacher says in these two verses? Many don't. I'm just reminded of a book that I was given years ago, and I've used this as an example time and time again. Maybe you know Rabbi Harold Kushner's book, When Bad Things Happen to Good People. Uh, there are problems with the title. <laughs> And there are problems with the content. Let me just simply uh, say that. But you, we, we can appreciate why, why Kushner wrote this book. Because Kushner was struggling with tragedies in his own family. 
and trying to understand them in light of what he was studying in the book of Job. And so he came out with this book. So though we have issues perhaps with many of the things in this book, we can appreciate his struggle. And this is what Kushner would say. By the way, I think this book and I think this idea that I'm just now going to suggest to you is really bad theology. But it serves to show where so many people are today when it comes to this issue of God's sovereignty. In light of Kushner's own tragedy and his own family, in light of his trying to understand Job and that book about tragedy and coming up against God's sovereignty, Kushner says, Forced to choose between a good God who is not totally powerful or a powerful God who is not totally good, he chooses to believe in God's goodness. And what Kushner means is this, that even God can't deal with calamity and chaos and tragedy that comes upon innocent, good people. God is not sovereign, Kushner would say. And God is also not in control of even evil or adversity, and so therefore when we suffer, there really isn't a purpose for it, is there? If God is not sovereignly bringing about purposes, his purposes, for people. I mean, is this a hopeful way of thinking? That a lot for a good God over a sovereign God? I would say no. It's bewildering and it's bleak and it's hopeless. But today, so many people embrace a God like Kushner's God, opting for goodness over sovereignty. But the Bible clearly says that God is sovereign over all. Listen to what our confession, our shorter catechism, speaks of this in questions 7 and 8, which are truths distilled from the scriptures. What are the decrees of God? The answer is the decrees of God are his eternal purpose according to the counsel of his will, whereby for his own glory he hath ordained whatsoever comes to pass. Prosperity, adversity. Even the fall was under God's sovereign control. How doth God execute his decrees? Shorter Catechism says, God executeth his decrees in the works of creation and providence. God created all that exists out of nothing by the word of his power. He governs and sustains all that he has made. Listen to these passages of scripture that direct us to God being sovereign over all. When, when Joseph was speaking to his brothers in Genesis chapter 50, his brothers who so terribly mistreated him, he said this, as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. Daniel 4:17, the most high rules the kingdom of men and gives to it and gives it to whom he will and sets over it the lowliest of men. Matthew 10:29, or not two sparrows sold for a penny and not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. But even the hairs on your head are all numbered. Fear not, therefore, you are more, 
you are, you are of more value than many sparrows. Ephesians 1.11, in him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. Romans 11.33, oh, the depths of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways or who has known the mind of the Lord, or who has been his counselor, or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid. For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. You see, the wise person, the preacher says, considers the work of God in being sovereign over all. Sovereign over prosperity and sovereign over adversity. God is sovereign. And secondly, we are not. In fact, the second part of verse 15 points out the limitations of man, that man is unable to straighten out what God has made crookedness. Those things that God have ordained are fixed. Now, I want to be we need to be careful when we when we look at this this concept of life being crooked. What the preacher is not suggesting is that God is the author of sin, that the crookedness are perverted, sinful um, things, wicked, corrupt things. What he's talking about is God sovereignly ordaining circumstances and from man's perspective they look very crooked. They could be, they could look crooked because that particular bend in the road, that particular sharp right turn in my life's journey is not my plan. It was not my plan to go to seminary. It was my plan to be a chemist. Maybe the only one in this room that has ever had such a plan. Who would be so nutty as to want to be a chemist? That's a good reaction, Doc. A little chemistry lingo there, for, you know, chemical reaction. <laughs> you people are really slow. All right, wake up. It's a new year. I've got to do some work on my jokes. You know, uh, think about this. A tornado is bearing down on your house, and you decide this this is a tragedy in the making. And so I'm going to go out and protect my house. And I'm going to stand between my house and the tornado. And I'm just going to open up my arms like this, right? And, I, and by the sheer power of my presence, that tornado is going to be diverted from my house. I can change the path of that tornado. That is not going to work out well for me. I can almost guarantee that. But you know, sometimes that's what we think about God's plan. That there's something that, that he has ordained for us that we simply don't like. Maybe we feel like it's going to be hard, difficult, harmful. It doesn't meet our desires. And what do we do? We try to straighten out. We, we try to change it. We try to make it conform to what we want. We want our plan to rule, not his plan. And not only do we try to straighten out what God has made crooked that we cannot straighten out, but then we try to understand the stuff that God has 
place in our lives that we simply cannot understand. To this day, I do not understand why we've had the, the difficulty that we've had in childbearing. I just simply cannot make sense out of it. And the problem we're trying to understand what we cannot understand and to change what we cannot change is that we're actually working against God himself. We are trying to dethrone God and put ourselves there. Listen to these scriptures about God's plan. It cannot be thwarted. Isaiah 14, for the Lord of hosts has purpose and who will annul it? His hand is stretched out and who will turn it back? Job 42, I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Isaiah 40, have you not known, have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. I, I can ask this hard question because as I ask you, I'm asking myself, what are you, what are I trying to straighten out today? that has been put there by God to be crooked and cannot be straightened out. Maybe you're single and you def desperately want to be married. Maybe you're sick and you desperately want to be healed. Maybe there's a broken relationship in your life and you desperately want restoration. Maybe your job is not what you expected. Maybe your Christian walk is way too hard than what you felt like you signed up for. And I want to deal with two more. Maybe your church is not fitting your mold of what your church should be. And maybe, maybe in your marriage your spouse has introduced some things that you judge are crooked barriers to you getting the kind of marriage you want what are you trying to straighten out that God has placed there could it be that the crookedness that you see in your life that you're trying to straighten out is actually God trying to straighten you out? Could it be that the crookedness that God has placed in your life and my life is there for many grand purposes, one of which is to press you into him that you might trust The preacher shows that the wise person does not seek to dethrone God and take his place. The wise person does not see the crookedness as something he needs to straighten out, but the way God is straightening him out. The wise person sees all of these things 
like a car battery. Now, I don't want to get into the science and the technology of a car battery, but we all know the function of a car battery. Have you ever tried to start your car with a dead battery? Have you ever tried to start your car with either the positive or the negative uh, pole cable being disconnected? It's not going to start. You need both the positive pole connected and the negative pole connected in order to have power to start your car and move. And brothers and sisters, I want to suggest to you this. That instead of seeing what is crooked, seeing what is viewed by ourselves as negative, that I've got to change, see it as a blessing. That like a car battery, you need the plus and the minus in order to have the power to move forward. Because God is using both prosperity and adversity to achieve his purposes in your life, in my life, in the life of our church, in the life of the church universal. God is sovereign. And we are not. And he is so sovereign that he uses the crookedness to press us into him as part of his agenda, his plan, along with the prosperity, the adversity, really to make us whole, that we might have the power to move, power that is his and received by faith. God is sovereign, we are not. Therefore, third point, let us, let us trust him. You know, one of the ancient uh, philosophical schools of, of Greek was Stoicism, and the, the Stoic Stoics champion this, this, this ideal. Change what you can change. Change what is changeable by human power. And what you can't change, what, what is, what will be accepted with, as one, one writer put it, dignified resignation. And so you, you just imagine the Stoic just with a, just a stiff, upper lip just just taking the adversity with a do I look dignified with a dignified <laughs> dignified resignation is that what the preacher is telling us to do here absolutely not uh, Ecclesiastes 7 is not some precursor to to this ideal championed by the Stoics we just don't take the, the crookedness with, with a stiff upper lip and kind of, you know, make, make sure that we're, we're steady enough just, just to take it. Resignation, that's not it. What the preacher tells us is something much deeper, something much more glorious, something much more powerful. Not to be resigned to the crookedness, but to trust the one who's made it crooked. Faith. That's what we have here. In verse 13, the preacher tells us, we can't straighten what God has made crooked. Therefore, trust him. In verse 14, the preacher tells us, and we'll never come in the place where we can fully understand this crookedness. He says, so that man may not find out anything that will come after him. I think what that means is we're not going to be able to understand fully this crookedness. I mean, God has revealed to us sufficient knowledge in the Bible. 
Knowledge about him, knowledge about his work, knowledge about man, knowledge about our need, knowledge about salvation, knowledge about the glorious future we have, but he's not revealed everything to us. There's, there are secrets that God has, his secret will, his secret knowledge. There are things that we can never understand. Deuteronomy 29, 29, the secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things that are revealed belong to us and to our children forever that we may do all the works of this law. And the challenge for us is to seek to understand the things that God has revealed to us, not the secret will of God that only He knows. And so many times we seek to know what we cannot know as well as seeking to straighten what we cannot straighten so that life will be understandable and life will conform to our plan. And guess what, dear brothers and sisters, that's not the life we have. It is a life of prosperity and adversity and who can figure it out? Who can make sense out of it? But we've been give, given something more. We've been called to trust in God who is in the midst of the crookedness and who has ordained the crookedness. You see, Job, as he was dealing with, with just the difficulties in, in his life, finally at, toward the end of, of the book in chapter 38, Job says starts questioning God and then God answers Job and basically answers Job in this way Job where were you when I created where were you when I did all of these things now can you imagine Job just feeling like a like a like a wee little bitty man in light of of God God responding uh, to him like that and what 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 really strikes me and I and and I think what is often missed in, in Job chapter 38 is we kind of get what God is doing there in questioning Job or responding to Job's question, like, Job, what credentials do you have to even know anything? <laughs> you know, I'm the one who's created it all. I'm the one who is sovereign. But do you remember the location of God when he was speaking to Job? Out of a whirlwind. And I don't know about you, but sometimes my wife, my life, not my wife, my life... Uh, feels like a whirlwind. Actually, she, 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 she does. I, I have to be honest. I cannot keep up with her. I've, I've, I've given up. What a beautiful passage that, that declares God is in the whirlwind with us. God is in the crookedness with us. And Job shows us this. And when we embrace our God through faith, He is sovereign, we are not. He's our sustainer. We are the creature. We, we come to that place of being able to sing the song that Habakkuk sung in chapter 3. It's a song. There are hymns in the Bible. This is one of them. 
as Habakkuk had questioned God, had grappled with God's sovereignty, was probably upset with God, was confused, was like, goodness gracious, life is just a mess, it's crooked. What in the world are you doing, God? God dealt with Habakkuk. And this is what Habakkuk sung at the end of the chapter. This is what God does when, when we struggle through the crookedness of life. He comes to us and brings us to the place of really expressing faith in him. Listen to this. Habakkuk says, Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food, the flocks be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God, the Lord, is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on high places. You see, resignation to the crookedness does not bring joy, does not bring hope, does not bring peace. Faith in God, even though we don't understand His ways. Faith in God, though we can never straighten out what He was done. Faith in God brings joy and peace and hope in the midst of the crookedness, in the midst of the whirlwind. Do you believe that? Is that not a perspective for 2017 that we should have? As I guarantee you, the, there will be crookedness in your life. There will be crookedness in my life. But we can be like Job and Habakkuk that in the midst of the crookedness come to the place of praising God because of faith. I love what Andrew Murray, he lived um, in the late 1800s, great churchman. He said this, in time of trouble say, first he brought me here. It is by his will I am in this straight place and that I will rest. Next he will keep me here. Notice what Murray said in this difficulty, in this crooked place. He's actually in a straight place. When we have faith in God, in the crookedness of life, we're actually on the straight way. Do you get that? Next, he will keep me here in his love and give me grace in this trial to behave as his child. Then say... He will make the trial a blessing, teaching me lessons he intends me to learn and working in me the grace he means to bestow. And last say, I am here by God's appointment in his keeping, under his training and for his time. We cannot alter what God has made crooked. We cannot fully understand why there is crookedness in our lives. But we're called to trust in the one who's in the crooked place with us. The one who has ordained the crooked place. The one who will sovereignly use it for his glory and for our ultimate good. Amen. And bless God who is sovereign. May we ever remember we are not. And may we respond by believing and trusting in him. Father, give us this perspective that we find in Job 38.
in Habakkuk 3, in Ecclesiastes 7, in Romans 8 that was read earlier, of you taking things, all things, and bringing good about from them. Work this perspective deeply in us this year, I pray. Grant us faith for Jesus' sake. Amen.